Well, hello everyone. I want to introduce you to Jeff Martell. And uh, Jeff has been a pastor uh, at our Norton campus for the last couple of years. And he is the person that we have asked to lead our efforts with starting the new Barberton campus. And so very excited about this. So I wanted you guys to get to know him some. So Jeff, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell yeah. us about yourself. Yeah, my name is Jeff Martell. I'm the pastor of Biblical Community at Grace at the Norton campus. My wife is Marsha. We've been married for about 10 years. She's an occupational therapist. And we have two kids. My son, Luke, is seven years old. And my daughter, Natalie, is four years old. Awesome. And you are, you're kind of a local boy. Grew up in Greater Akron, yeah. went to college here, school here. And then you pastored uh, at the chapel for nine years. You've been with us for two and a half, three years or so. Why did you, what drew you to Grace? Like, what, what was it that connected with your heart with Grace Church? Yeah, you know, Marsha and I have said lots of times that if we weren't looking for a place to pastor, if we were looking for a, a place to attend, Grace is where we'd be. Because when we came the first time, we just felt, felt very comfortable. Like, it was a natural fit for us. And I think that's because there's this, this honesty, this realness that is part of the culture at Grace. So you don't have to come and put your mask on and pretend like everything is, is perfect in your life and you have no struggles and problems. You can be who you are. And I think church works best when we act that way. And you know, we also love the teaching and we try to be a part of this teaching in which you know, we're not just giving information, we're not just yeah. teaching information, but we're teaching in a way that affects our heart and affects our lives, you know? And so uh, I, we want to package things, we love that we package things in ways that um, affects me, but it's also in a way that I can give it away to other people. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's that's the heartbeat behind Barberton, right? We yeah. want to keep taking the church to the community. Um, tell us about your passion for Barberton. When, when you first uh, connected at Grace, you told us out the gate, hey, I got a passion for Barberton. Yeah. And we were like, well, that's awesome because we have a passion for Barberton. So a couple years later, we're able and ready to do something. Why are you so excited about this? Yeah, we, we love Barberton. Um, my uh, mom grew up in Barberton and her brothers and my grandparents lived in Barberton all of my life and my parents actually were both teachers in Barberton so we spent a lot of time in Barberton growing up and it's just a cool community you know I mean there's real honest hard-working people that are very committed to the city of Barberton and we love that but the truth is there's also a lot of struggle in Barberton and there's a lot of darkness in Barberton and our hope is to be able to bring a church, plant a church, plant a campus that's going to be a light in the darkness. That's that's our hope with Barberton. And so we've been we, we did a study that uh, was looking at kind of the spiritual culture of the city of Barberton. And what we found out is about two thirds of folks living in Barberton have little or no church connection, spiritual connection, and yet almost 90% of folks living there believe in God. So you have all of these people that believe in God but aren't, be ta aren't being taught the truth of the gospel and who God is and how God loves them. So we're very excited to bring the gospel. That's awesome. And we as a church, we've had a passion for Barberton for years. Of course, a lot of us live there, you know, and, and are part of Barberton. So we're very excited about this effort. I feel like it's a real answer to prayer. And very excited about Jeff and uh, his ability and, and willingness to lead that. And I would love for you guys to connect with Jeff. And so we've invited him up to, to speak here at the Bath Campus a couple of times so you can get to kind of know his heart a little bit through his teaching. And then also encourage you to connect with him in the lobby, get, get to emailing back and forth. 
get into the informational loops as we do informational meetings and those kind of things. If you have a heart for the Barberton community, if you live there or have a passion for it, want to be a part of pioneering a new campus plant, um, then I want you to connect with Jeff and uh, join that team and go for it. So excited, excited about that and thankful to God for the opportunities. So we're going to have an opportunity to uh, have uh, Pastor Jeff Martell up here a couple times this summer uh, teaching us, and today is one of those days. So let's give a warm Grace Church welcome to Pastor Jeff. Good morning. I'm always nervous when I walk on stage and I'm going to trip. I'm really glad I didn't trip. Hey, I am really glad to be with you. I've been very excited to, to share some time with you. Uh, over these last few weeks, and uh, this morning I wanted to, Jeff thought it'd be a good idea, Jeff Bogue, Jeff, the more important Jeff, that's what I call him, which makes me the less important Jeff, that's what he makes me call him, the more important. Actually, he gave me, he gave me a choice, he said, you could be the short, fat, bald Jeff, or you could be uh, the less important Jeff. I was like, can I just be Jeff Martell? He's like, yeah. Anyway, joke, a little joke. Anyway, I'm really excited to share with you this morning, and uh, so I, Jeff thought it would be a good idea to just kind of share a little bit about my background and how I ended up at Grace Church, how I came to know the Lord, and, um, and then I want to share, I don't want to spend, so I want to do that, but I don't want to share too much about myself. I'd rather focus on God because you didn't come here to hear about me this morning, right? You came to hear about God, and so I'm excited to open up the scriptures with you as well. Um, if, if, by the way, you use the YouVersion app and you want to follow along, with uh, the notes that way, you can go to the live event, and our zip code is 44333. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in the area. Uh, I'm one of four kids, so I have two older sisters and a younger brother. So I'm a middle child. They say the middle children are the best adjusted. I don't know. But I'm a middle child, and uh, my parents are both reti retired teachers. They were teachers in Barberton for a long, long time. And um, growing up for me, sports was like the, the thing for me. I loved playing sports. I lived and breathed sports. It didn't matter what sport it was. I loved them. But basketball was always my favorite sport, as you probably guessed by my stature, right? My sisters say I'm built like a square, which I don't think is a compliment, but anyway. So I love basketball, I love sports, and growing up, I went to church. Ever since I was born, my parents took us to church, and then I started going to Christian schools. And so I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And I didn't have a relationship with God as my father. In fact, I saw God as like my judge. God was the one who was going to judge me one day. And I knew from a young age that the way to go to heaven one day when this life ends is by faith. I had to have faith. I had to believe. And I always wondered, like I always wrestled and worried that I didn't have enough of it, you know? Like one day when I'm standing before God as my judge and judgment day, that he was going to like pull the rug out from under me and say, nah, you just didn't quite make, you just didn't believe enough. So I had this view of God like he was, he was this angry God, he was this, or, or at best, an unpredictable God. And I, you know, I was thinking about this this week, like what, if I could use one word to kind of define me as a child, what would it be? And uh, the word that I came up with is selfish. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, but it's true. Um, I, I was incredibly selfish, like I, everything was focused on me. I remember, I remember getting down on my knees at night next to my bed, praying to this God that I thought existed, 
telling him, I know a lot of the things that I'm doing are wrong, but I'm just not ready to stop doing them. Like I was so focused on myself and my desires and what I wanted that those even trumped my fear of God. Like what an audacious prayer. Well, things changed for me when I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, I went with my dad and uh, some guys from his uh, men's group and a bunch of their sons to a conference, a men's conference in Pittsburgh, uh, Three River Stadium, the old Three River Stadium. And this conference, on Friday night, they would have like a, a gospel presentation. They have speakers all weekend, a gospel presentation, then they do an altar call. And I don't know, I don't really know what I was expecting that weekend, but I can tell you this, what happened to me was completely unexpected because it was that weekend that I met Jesus. And so that Friday night, uh, this, this fiery African-American preacher, he was so good, I don't remember anything that he said. I hope that doesn't define you today, by the way. But I don't remember anything that he said except one thing. And, God, and it was kind of this obscure thing, but God used it to absolutely break my heart and show me how much I needed him. This is what he said. He said, when is the last time you cried for men's souls? When is the last time you cried for men's souls? And for whatever reason, that just crushed my heart because I realized how selfish I was, like how completely focused on me and no one else, let alone the eternity of anybody else's soul. And that weekend, God changed me and God allowed me to know him. And the trajectory, like the whole rest of my life was changed from that point on. I began to pursue Jesus in a way that I never had before, like never had before. And my life began to change. And all of the, the kind of rotten things that marked my life before, I started doing less of them. <laughs> I didn't completely stop, but I started doing less of them. And then when I was doing rotten things, I started feeling guilty for doing those things. Uh, I, so, so son of two teachers, right? I prided myself in getting all the way through high school without actually ever reading a book. <laughs> but all of a sudden, when I came to follow Jesus, like I had this passion for the Bible. Like I, I couldn't describe it. I took it with me everywhere. I couldn't get enough of it because for the first time, I was reading it through the eyes of faith. I was, I was remembering some of these stories that I learned when I was a kid, but I was reading them as I believed them. And it changed me. It just changed me. And soon I felt like God was calling me to ministry, which like I never saw myself up here. I never saw myself as a pastor. But I began to feel like God was calling me into ministry. And so I started taking steps that way. I started going to seminary. And then God provided me with a job, a great job at a great church, which by the way, that's what God does, right? When he has a calling on our lives, he provides for that calling. He does. And so that's exactly what he did for me. And uh, I got a chance to be there, as uh, Jeff said in the video, for about nine years. I got a chance to learn from just some great leaders and great teachers. I got a chance to learn how to be a pastor, like how to love people and teach people and lead people and shepherd people. And it was incredible. Well, about three and a half years ago, my time there ended. And uh, my wife, Marcia, and I, you know, we're just praying, like, God, what do you have next for us? Like, what's, what is our next move? And pretty, pretty early on, we felt like God was calling us to plant a church uh, in the community next to where we live. We live in Norton, almost like right on the uh, norton Barberton line. And we felt like God was calling us to plant a church in Barberton. 
And so uh, somehow I got connected with uh, Pastor Dan, who's the campus pastor at Norton, and Pastor Jeff, and we started talking. I'm just telling them, you know, like, this is what I feel like God's calling me to. And they said, you know, we have a desire to plan a, a campus in Barbara, and we're not ready yet, but would you consider coming on staff at the Norton campus as the pastor of biblical community. And at first, you know, I was kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know about that. Like, that's, I, don't, I don't think that's what God's calling me. He's calling me to plant a church now in Barberton. But as we got to know Grace Church, and like as we started attending, we absolutely fell in love. Like we absolutely fell in love with it. And we sensed God confirming to us that this was the place that he was gonna fulfill this calling through. And... Uh, like, we fell in love with Grace Church probably for a lot of the same reasons that, you, that you're here this morning, you know? From day one, we felt accepted. We felt loved. We felt like we could be who we were and not be judged, not be looked down upon, but we felt loved and we felt valued. We uh, felt like this realness. I hope you feel that this morning, too. We felt this realness, like you could just be who you are. Warts and all, we don't have to put the masks on, you can be who you are. And we loved that, that Grace was looking to do church in a way that made sense to the culture, you know, like do church in a way that's culturally relevant. Not just do church to, to reach church people, right, or to keep church people, but instead do church in a way to help reach people that don't yet know Jesus. We sense this love for people that were apart from Christ, like from day one, you know, and that the church was willing to do anything, anything necessary, short of sin, to reach people for Jesus. And we love that. And we love, you know, we have young kids, and we saw how much Grace loves kids. You know, we love our kids. They're pretty special to us. So that was a big deal for us as well. And for Marsha and I, one of the things, um, I guess I'll talk for myself, in my life that shaped my faith more than anything else is being in relationships with others. Like, we're not supposed to do commute. We're not supposed to follow Jesus alone right? God designed us to be together. God designed us to be in community. And so we felt like Grace Church really valued community. You know, life groups, grace groups are such an important part of the church, and we love that. And we love that Grace stood strong for this, you know? It was willing to take a stand that this is the inerrant word of God, right? Even when it's not popular. And, and everything that we do, and I hope you feel that here, um, Everything we do, Jesus is the big deal. You know, it's all, it's all focused on Jesus. Every program, every ministry, every project, every outreach, it's all centered on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And we really loved the vision of the movement. And that's actually where I want to kind of focus our time here this morning. Um, you've probably heard Jeff share this before. You know what our purpose statement is? This is our purpose statement. The vision of Grace Church is to ignite a gospel-centered movement by knowing it, living it, and giving it away. It is the gospel of Jesus. That's our purpose statement, right? To ignite this movement, this gospel-centered movement, it's driven by the gospel. That's our purpose statement, to start this movement. And see, like, we see movements all around us, right? Like, there's movements all around us at different times and different scales with different purposes. A movement is nothing unique in and of itself. In the fitness world, in the sports and fitness world, there's this growing movement called CrossFit, right? A bunch of crazy people that think beating their bodies to the point of near death is actually cool and fun. Psychos. Actually, I love CrossFit. But it's this growing movement, in the sports and fitness world. In education, there's this, there's this growing movement toward online education, right? It's booming. Some people hate it, 
And some people absolutely love it. There's also this, this movement for homeschooling in the education world. In the social media realm, all of the especially humble and shy people are part of this growing movement of taking selfies, right? You know what I'm talking about. It's all over Facebook. We get selfies in the car. I don't know why the car is like such a great place to take pictures of yourself, but like half the pictures of people are in the car. Or on the beach, you know, you have the obligatory shot where you get your legs in the photo, you know what I'm talking about, into the ocean. Or my favorite is the ones where you're like stoically looking away from the camera when you take it. Like, I don't even care. I don't even care. I'll take the picture, right? Like movements are all around us. A movement in itself is nothing unique. But we're a movement too. Actually, we're part of a movement. So do you know what a movement is? Very simply, we should define it. A movement is just, this is actually the first point in your notes, a movement is just a series of next moves with a purpose. That's it. That's all a movement is, a series of next moves with a purpose. It's just a bunch of next moves by a bunch of different people who have a common goal, a common, a common focus, a common purpose. That's it. It's actually a really simple thing. And yet it's not easy to create a movement and it's not easy to sustain a movement, especially over a period of time. Almost every movement dies over a long period of time, right? Like think of, think of Nazism, that was a movement for a time. Think of the hippie movement. Think of Beanie Babies. Some of you are Beanie Baby people, right? Who collected Beanie Babies? Ah, uh, thank you for your courage. <laughs> we love you anyway, yeah. But a movement always has a start, so there's movements all around us, a movement is just a series of next moves, but a movement always has a start. And it's often started by one or two passionate visionaries, right? Sometimes they get credit for starting the movement, sometimes they don't. In our case, the movement that we're a part of here at Grace Church, it started almost 2,000 years ago. And it didn't begin with you know, one or two passionate visionaries who had a product to sell or had an agenda to push, but instead it began with the God of the universe loving the most important part of his creation, that's you and me, so much that he made a way for us to have relationship with him. That's how our movement started. Our movement started because God loved us. One of the, uh, probably the most well-known passage in all the Bible actually kind of summarizes the beginning of the movement that we're a part of today. It's John 3, 16, you probably heard this before. It's the one that the crazy guy at the uh, football games behind the goalpost holds up when people are kicking field goals. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the beginning of our movement. I'd love for you to write this down. In our movement, God made the first move. In our movement, in the movement that we're a part of, God made the first move. See, that's the most humbling thing in the world to me. God loved me so much that he was willing to make a way for lost, rebellious, impure, selfish, sinful people like you and me to be forgiven and to have a relationship with him and to be transformed from the inside out and even have the hope of living with him one day in paradise, eternal bliss. That's incredible to me because I think, I don't know what you think, but I think like, who am I, you know? Like, who am I? What makes me so valuable? I know myself like nobody else knows me. I know all of the rotten things that I've done in my life. I know all of the people that I've hurt in my life. You know, I know all of those secret things, 
all those secret sinful things that I've done that no one else knows about. I know how many of the good things that I've done really I did because it benefited me the most. And yet I'm not the only one who knows this because God knows this too, right? God knows us completely and he knows us intimately and it should repulse him who we are because he's holy and he's just and he's good and he's perfect, right? And we're not, we're none of those things. We should be repulsive to him, but instead, I mean, this is incredible. Instead, he moves toward my mess. He moves toward my sin and he offers me, he makes me an offer for forgiveness and for change. The free gift of peace and grace and new life and hope and purpose and salvation. The gift's free through knowing and loving and following Jesus, but you know what? It costs us everything. It costs us everything. It costs us everything because in knowing and loving and following Jesus, all of a sudden, life's not about me anymore. Which, by the way, is a really hard pill to swallow when you're a very selfish person like I am. All of a sudden, life's not about me, but instead, it's about him. He becomes our priority. His agenda becomes our agenda. His concerns become our concerns. His mission for us to love and make disciples, that's what drives us. See, God loved us so much that he made the first move toward our mess. And it began this movement that we're all a part of today. You know, last uh, couple weeks I've been studying the book of Acts. And it's just incredible how this movement that we're a part of, how it, how it began and how it took shape, how it grew, how this movement really began and grew through a bunch of normal people, just like us, making very clear and intentional next moves as they followed Jesus. See, it's fascinating, it's fascinating to hear Jesus' last words. Like people's last words can be really, really important, especially when they know these are their last words, right? And Jesus' last words, he knows, of course, that he's going up to heaven. He's going up to be with the Father. And his last words are about our mission. It's instructions to us about our mission. And I want to read them to you. I don't want you to flip there. I want you to just listen. And I want you to try to listen through the ears of Jesus' first followers, okay? I'll bet, I'll bet some of this is familiar to you. The first one is Matthew 28. It's the Great Commission. This is what he says. Then Jesus came to them, to the disciples, to the 11 disciples. Judas said there were 12. Judas had betrayed Jesus. He was no more. So there's 11. Jesus came to the disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the great commission. Therefore go and make disciples, and I am gonna be with you every step of the way. And then probably the last thing, probably the last thing that Jesus said, so this is after he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he spent time with his disciples, and just before he ascended into heaven, this is what he says, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, you will be, I'm sorry, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. See, Jesus leaves his earliest followers, his earliest disciples, with the mission to continue on what he began. Well, what did he begin? What did he begin? 
Well, he began this movement of making disciples. Well, how did he do it? Well, by each one of us making our next moves. Why? Why do we do this? Why are we making disciples? Why should we be taking our next moves? Because we love people, right? Because we love people and we want them to experience the same peace and grace and new life and hope and purpose and salvation that we've experienced through our relationship in Jesus. We don't do it, like we don't make disciples. We don't take our next moves as we follow Jesus because you know, as Christians, we're really into uh, pyramid business structures, pyramid schemes. Like if you make two disciples and those two disciples make two disciples and those four disciples, like no. That's not why we do it. We don't do it because you know Jesus left us with a job to do and doggone it, I'm gonna get that job done. I never left a job undone. No, that's not why we do it. We don't do it because, you know what, it's just, it's just the right thing for us to do. That's not why we do it. That's not why we make disciples. We do this because Jesus has changed our lives, amen? Jesus has changed our lives and we love him and we love people and we want them to experience the same sort of things that we've experienced that come from having a relationship with God through Jesus. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus' earliest followers did. They took his last words very, very seriously. And through a series of next moves, they made disciples out of rotten people that aren't that dissimilar than you and me. Sorry, I just called you rotten, didn't I? No offense. I'm making some assumptions that you're not that different than me, right? And if you look at Acts, if you look at Acts, it just unfolds before our very eyes. So in Acts 2, Peter grew the movement by making his next move, by preaching to thousands of people at this Jewish holiday, this feast, this festival called Pentecost. And when miraculous things begin to happen, this crowd gathers around him. And you know what he does? He begins to preach about Jesus. And you know what happens? 3,000 people make a decision that day to follow Jesus. It's incredible. Then you get to Acts 3. In Acts 3, Peter takes another next move when he heals this crippled beggar. And then as you know, people see this, people have seen him every day crippled, and then all of a sudden this crippled beggar can walk. He's healed. And so they're amazed. This crowd gathers around them. And what does Peter do? Well, he testifies to them. And he says, it's by faith in Jesus Christ that this man is healed. And then he tells this crowd to go and repent of your sins and turn to God. In Acts 4, John joins Peter, and they grow the movement by taking their next moves when they're brought before the Sanhedrin. You know what the Sanhedrin is? The Sanhedrin back then was like the Jewish ruling body. They were like the super Jews. I like to think of them as the super Jews, right? So Peter and John are brought before them, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have living inside of us if we're followers of Jesus. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, testifies before the Sanhedrin, and he says this. He says, salvation is found in no one else. These are the leaders of the Jews. They know the scriptures very well. And Peter says, salvation's found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The exclusivity of Christ, right? And then you get to Acts 5 through 8. When you get to Acts 5 through 8, the church begins to be persecuted. And as the church is persecuted, guess what happens? It scatters. It's no longer safe to stay in Jerusalem as a Christian. It kind of centered around this guy named Stephen. If you haven't read Acts 5 through 8 in a while, I really challenge you to, to read it. Stephen is this incredible man of God who opens up. He's, there, he's brought before the same, same Sanhedrin again, and he opens up the scriptures to them, and he shows how everything is pointing toward Jesus. 
Well, his testimony, his next moves for Christ end in him getting stoned. And as he's being stoned, guess what he's doing? He's praying for the people that are pelting him with rocks until he dies. It's incredible. He's saying, God, don't hold this against them. Don't hold this against them. Well, after Stephen's killed, all of a sudden it's not safe for people to be Christians in Jerusalem any longer. And the church is scattered, which sounds like a terrible thing, but in all actuality, it's a beautiful thing. Because as the church is scattered, wherever people go, they tell others about Jesus. Wherever they go, they testify to Jesus. Each person took their next moves, and the church grows, and disciples are made, and the church grows, and disciples are made. It's incredible. And then you get to Acts 9. And in Acts 9, you have one of the most passionate persecutors of Christians has an encounter with the risen Jesus, the resurrected risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he goes from being passionate persecutor to passionate follower of Jesus. This is Paul who eventually would be persecuted himself and killed for his faith as he took his next moves. And then you get to chapter 10. And chapter 10 is one of my favorite chapters. I really like chapter 10 because in chapter 10, God shows Peter that the gospel, the good news, isn't only for God's chosen people. It's not only for the Jews, but actually God calls people from every background and every race. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles are included in God's plan of salvation. You know what a Gentile is? A Gentile basically is a non-Jew. So if you're not Jewish in your background, like I'm not Jewish in my background, then you're a Gentile like I am. And if you're a Gentile like I am, you should really like chapter 10 too, because all of a sudden God includes you and God includes me. And then you fast forward to chapter 13. I kind of want to camp out a little bit at chapter 13, because in chapter 13, the young church, specifically the church in Antioch, does something amazing. They take their next move, and it's a really risky next move. Because what they do is they take two of their very best leaders, two of their very best leaders and teachers, you know what they do? They send them away. They send them away. The church is praying together, which is what the church does, and as they are praying, they sense the Holy Spirit telling them to set aside two of their very best, Saul, or Paul, as he's known, goes by both names, and Barnabas, and to send them off to take the next moves that God's calling them to, which is to take the gospel to places that have not yet heard about Jesus. And I want you to put yourself, like, I want you to put yourself in their shoes, because it's really easy to kind of hear that and gloss over it and move on. But think about the faith and the courage it took for Paul and Barnabas to do that. So wait a minute, God, you're calling me to leave all of this? and go to places where maybe I've never been before and I don't know anybody. Sailing back then to these different places was not a safe thing. (laughs) You you leave the port, you don't know if you're going to end up in the next port or not. And you go to places and you tell people about Jesus, like you don't know what's going to happen. There's so much unknown. Think about the faith and the courage it took for Paul and Barnabas. And think about the faith and the courage it took for the church in Antioch, the young church, to send off almost, almost definitely their two best leaders, their two best teachers. But that's exactly what they did. Why did they do it? Don't miss this. This is, this is huge. Why did they do it? This is what it says in Acts 13 too. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Well, why did this happen? Because God called them. God had plans for them. And God called them. That's why it happened. I'd love for you to write this down. God calls us to next moves. 
God calls us to next moves. I don't know if you're like me, but for me, it's really easy to get caught up in, in all of the stuff that I've got going on in my life and get very distracted and forget that God has plans for me. God has plans specifically for me, for flawed, imperfect, sinner me, right? My life's not just about, you know, getting up and eating and working and taking my kids places and exercising and mowing the lawn and paying the bills and all that sort of stuff. That's not what marks my life. I got to do all those things, but that's not what makes me who I am. God has a calling on my life. And guys, hear this this morning. God has a calling on your life. I don't know 99% of you, but I am so sure of this. God has plans for you. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you're going through, God has a calling on your life specifically for you, and he's got plans. He's got next moves for each of us to make if we're willing to follow his lead. If we follow our lead, we'll go where we wanna go. We'll do what we wanna do, and that may very well not be what God has for us. But if we follow his lead, we'll go where he calls us, and we'll do what he's calling us to do. Now, every time I talk about this with people, you know, they, they agree with me, like, Jeff, yeah, God has a calling on my life. I believe that. How do I know what God is calling me to, right? Like, that's a fair question. That's a good question. Okay, how, how do I know what he's calling me to? Well, notice how they figured out in this passage what God was calling them to. Let me read it to you again. Acts 13, two and three. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. How did they discern what God was calling the church to do in sending Paul and Barnabas? Well, the church was praying. They were together and they were praying. They were talking to God and they were listening to God. And as they were praying to him, God impressed on their hearts that apparently including Paul and Barnabas's hearts, that he was sending them off to take their next move. How do we understand what God's calling us to? Well, we fill our minds with this and we talk to him and we listen to him and we worship him and we fast, that's what we do. See guys, that's the first 13 chapters in Acts, but it just goes on and on and on from there. The early church steps out over and over and over again as they're connected to the Lord as a community of believers through individual after individual taking their next moves. And you know what happened? Generations were affected. Millions and millions of people's lives, including many of us in this room today, were affected because early on the church stepped out armed with the gospel and made their next move. And it's happened over century after century after millennium after millennium. They were changed by Jesus. People changed by Jesus and they loved him and they wanted others to experience what they had experienced. And you know what I'm absolutely convinced of? See if you agree with me here. I am absolutely convinced of this. We all have a next move. Every single one of us has a next move. Do you believe that? Nod your head if you believe that. I can see you, you know. We all have a next move, every single one of us. Not just a few of us, not just, not just the people who've been Christians for a long time, not just the people who have the flexibility in their schedule, 
Not just the old people, not just the young people, but every single one of us has a next move. And you know what? That is very much the history of Grace Church. Ordinary people, just like you and me, stepping out after they spent time with the Lord, sensing his calling, stepping out in faith, and taking their next moves. It started in 1944. Do you know the history of Grace Church? It's actually really fascinating. It started in 1944 when a guy named Richard Markle, anybody ever heard of Richard Markle? Me either, never heard of him. But in 1944, Richard Markle and a small group of others decided that the church that they were a part of wasn't teaching the whole gospel. And they felt God called them to step out and plant a church. And so they did. And Barberton Bible Church, meeting in Edgewood Park in 1944, was planted. Barberton Bible Church. Fast forward to 1959, this group of people, now they're called the First Brethren Church of Barberton after they got connected to the Fellowship of Grace Brethren Churches. They were praying and they sensed God leading and so they bought a plot of land for $15,000, which back then might as well have been $15 million to them. But in faith, they stepped out, followed God's lead and bought this plot of land at 3970 Cleveland Massillon Road in Norton, Ohio because they felt like God was calling them to build a building for their tiny little church, and so they did. It continued in 1973 when they decided that their big next move was to bring in a short but self-proclaimed very good-looking young pastor named Bob Combs. If you know Bob, you know that he calls himself the good-looking pastor. We just laugh and uncomfortably as he does that. But. And when Bob and Julie came, they continued to challenge people to take their next moves. And you know what happened? The church grew. And in the first four years that Bob was here, the church more than doubled. It's incredible. And in the coming years, the church decided to make lots of different next moves in sharing the gospel both with people inside the church and people outside the church. And in 1993, they made a very important next move and bringing in Pastor Jeff Bogue and Heidi to be the youth pastor. And when they did, the ministry to teens and parents exploded. And of course, Jeff continues to be the senior leader here at Grace Church. In 1995, the church felt like they needed to find new and creative ways to reach teens, to reach teens in our community. And so in faith, they took their next move in starting something called Judgment House. I bet some of you had a part in Judgment House. In Judgment House, the years that we did it, literally thousands of teenagers heard the gospel because of this really important next move, and the church grew. And so in 2000, through much prayer, Jeff and Heidi and a launch team sensed the Lord's calling them, and they took their next moves, and they ventured out and started our second campus in beautiful Bath, Ohio. And God's kind of blessed this place, right? Like, it's incredible what God has done here in the last 14 years. It's incredible, Fast forward to 2012, through lots of other next moves, again, through much prayer, we felt like God was calling us as a church to take our next moves, and so Pastor Tony and his wife Jessica and a launch team set out to launch our third campus in Medina, Ohio, and the Medina East campus was born, and the church grew. Why? Like, why did the church grow? Did it grow because Jeff and Dan and Tony are great teachers and leaders and pastors? Uh-uh. That's not why. They're, they are great teachers and leaders and pastors, but that's not why the church grew. The church grew because literally thousands of people who call Grace Church their home prayed and sensed the Lord's calling and in faith stepped out to take their next moves. It takes all of us. Like this is, this is an all-in thing. Like every single one of us has a part. And in the next eight months, we're gonna launch our extension in Montrose, right? 
And we're gonna launch our fourth campus, Lord Welling, in Barberton, the Barberton campus. Why? Because as the church prays together, we sense the Lord calling us to step out and take our next moves. I'll say it again. God made the first move toward us in love, right? Driven by his love, he made the first move toward our mess, to our sin. And as we decide to follow Jesus, God calls us to make next moves. He has plans for us. In Ephesians 2, 2.10, it says that God has prepared, he's got good works prepared in advance specifically for you and for me. That is an incredible thought. He's got things planned for you. And if we follow our own leading, we're going to miss them. If we're driven by ourself and we follow where we want to go, we're going to miss the, what a terrible thought. But if we pray to the Lord and we seek his face and we follow his leading, he will make it quite clear what he's calling us to. And he'll lead us to step out and take next moves. And we all have them. Every single one of us has a next move. For some of you in here, your next move is to decide if all of this stuff that we talk about week after week at Grace Church about Jesus is true. Your next move is the most important move that you'll ever make. Because you need to decide if your next move is to follow Jesus or not. We're all following something, right? Like for you, it might be money, it might be success, it might be fame, prestige, it might be the American dream, it might be someone that you want to emulate. We all follow something or someone. For some of you, your next move is the most important move that you'll ever make. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning. And I've been praying for you this week. And no one's going to force you. God doesn't force us. But I challenge you to consider Jesus. Your next move is to decide if you want to follow him. For others of you, you've been following Jesus for a while. And your next move is to ask the Lord what he desires of you. And I could give you ideas. You're like, maybe God's calling you this way. Maybe he's calling you this way. But I don't want to do that. I want to challenge you to pray, to go to him. God, what, am, what, what just lights my fire inside of me? What am I passionate about? What skills do I have? What breaks my heart? Your next move is to go to the Lord and say, God, show me what you're calling me to and give me the strength and the courage to follow. And can I tell you this? Sometimes the next moves that God calls us to are risky. Sometimes, sometimes they're not easy. Sometimes the next moves he calls us to are risky. Sometimes they're uncomfortable. Planting a campus in Barberton is a risky next move. There's no, uh, there's no for sures. There's no guarantees, right? Sometimes what God calls us to can be risky, but you know what else? It's also invigorating and it's exciting, and it's faith-building, because when we step out and respond to the next moves that God's calling us to, we get a chance to experience Jesus in a way that we never could otherwise, that we never could if we didn't follow his calling and his leading. We get a chance to partner with Jesus to make disciples, to change people, to do amazing things. And so here's how I wanna end. Time's up. Here's how I wanna end with a very simple question. I pray that you think about it this week. Here's the question. What's your next move? We all have a next move. What's your next move? So God, I thank you that you value me, that you value us so much that my sin, 
doesn't disgust you, it doesn't repulse you, it doesn't push you away, but instead your love draws you near to me and you offer me the free gift of forgiveness and peace and relationship with you and you have plans for us, God, and you have a calling on our lives and I pray that we won't forget that and I pray that we won't get distracted by all of the other stuff that we've got going in our lives, but instead we go to you and we say, show us. Show us where you're calling us, what you would have us do, and give us the strength and the courage to follow where you're leading. Thank you that you never give up on us. We need your strength. We thank you for your love. And we love you too. In Christ's name, amen.